0: I'm Larry Bishop and you're listening to the World Is Wrong podcast.
1: We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about The Hot Spot. 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 <laughs> Why do you keep stepping on my lines, Don? Ah, Jesus, is this what it was like making the hot spot? Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. My name is Andras Jones, and I am one of your hosts. And my name is Brian Conley, and I am one of your hosts. And we were attempting to deliver the same kind of steamy dialogue (laughs) that Virginia Manson and Don Johnson deliver in this color noir film from Dennis Hopper uh, but uh, I guess I needed to explain that to you because I I'm, I'm just thinking the audience might not have picked up on that <laughs> perhaps <laughs> anyway this is a, this is I feel like this was on one of the original lists we made of films that we wanted to cover mm-hmm. uh, I've been wanting to I know I've been wanting to do this from the very from the jump and mm-hmm. uh, I, I take it you love this film as well
0: Oh, yeah. I love this movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to we're going to go to a clip and then we're going to talk about it. But is there anything you want to say to, to, to get the audience prepped?
0: Now, just to, you know, watch this movie because it's noirish. There's some twists. There's some turns. We'll be spoiling the heck out of it. So if you don't want that to happen,
1: pause this, watch the movie and come back. There might be spoilers, yeah. There might be spoilers. <laughs> there might be spoilers. Yeah. There might be spoilers. Yeah. There might be spoilers. Yeah. So... How do you stand the excitement? <sighs> well, maybe it picks up on Saturday night. Oh, yeah, it does. show two vampire operas at the movie theater. one. I could buy a TV. Or you could join the ladies' club and collect trash. Now, there's a hot pastime. (laughs) Uh, I doubt if I could pass the credentials committee. Not if you approached them one at a time. You'd be lucky if you ever got your credentials back.
0: Which one lives over there?
1: Ms. Gross. She's the one with the binoculars. What do you think of the view?
0: Better all the time.
1: That's where the pool was gonna go. George said I could have my eyes good, but he said his family hadn't had one, and what was good enough for them was good enough for us. Oh, I meant to ask you uh, about finding me. Did I give you the right directions?
0: I could find it in the dark. You sure?
1: In the previews for The Hotspot from 1990, we are promised a new kind of film noir from director Dennis Hopper. It's a sweaty story about a handsome stranger who moves into a small Texas town and is immediately the focus of its two most attractive residents, the wife of the owner of the local used car dealership, played by Virginia Madsen, and the sad young woman with a secret who works as the auto dealer's secretary, played by Jennifer Connelly. The handsome stranger is played by Don Johnson in what is probably my favorite of his film roles. The hotspot has all the noirish elements, seduction, cigarettes, snappy dialogue, and murder, but... There's an additional alchemy at work here. Hopper's direction is uncharacteristically consistent and elegant, and the performances, particularly from Johnson and Madsen, are uniquely suited to the material, and they pop as a screen pair here in a way that neither usually does. The score, composed by Jack Nietzsche, features John Lee Hooker, Miles Davis, and Taj Mahal and grounds the film in an aesthetic that's as rich as the jazz scores that accompanied the noirs of a bygone era, and, well, let's just talk about this film, because <laughs> the the devil is in the details, and yeah. in I think in the comparisons to other films of its type where I feel like this might top them all. Yeah. Again, we can talk about what, what type of film that is, but, uh, and I'm just going to, well, ask me how the world is wrong about this. <laughs> how is the world wrong about the hot spot? I, I don't, I, I've been thinking about this, and I'm, I just, like a lot of things, I feel like the people who know this and love it, love it, and most people don't really give it much, give it a second thought. Um usually when people are talking about Dennis Hopper's films, obviously Easy Rider is the first one they go to. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like people go to colors um before they go to this one and definitely they go to out of the blue before yeah. this one. They and... go to the
0: more edgier kind of uh outsider filmmaker type stuff. And I think this maybe is grouped into like, oh, that's like some more straightforward thing he did that's not as interesting. I think it's it's incredibly interesting. Uh, I
1: think it's it's a, it's well, yeah. So t- to me, it's just one of those films that the first time I saw it, I was just struck by it, and I watched it again last night, and I was ev- I was just as if not more struck by it. And I've watched it watched it at least two times besides that, and it's just a film that I can come back to over and over and over again, and particularly with Don Johnson and Virginia Madsen, like if, if I had never seen anything else by them and I didn't know film history and you just showed me this film, I'd be like, well, those two are major movie stars. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The, the, and I feel like part of it's an alchemy between the two of them. I, I want to give Virginia Madsen more credit than Don Johnson. But maybe that's just where my sympathies lie uh, is, you know, in terms of the two of them as people. But really, as a screen pair, like I was watching the film and just kept thinking, God, it feels like a Robert Mitchum movie. And then I read that it was a this is a Robert Mitchum movie. This was written by the author of the book, uh, Charles Williams, who wrote a book called Hell Hath No Fury, and he wrote the screenplay with, uh, in collaboration with a woman named Nona Tyson in 1962 for Robert Mitchum. And then that's the script that, uh, that Dennis Hopper ended up using for this film. You were just telling me before we started recording that this was originally going to be a Mike Figgis film. Yeah. And I guess according to what I've been reading online about it, when Dennis Hopper came on, he threw away the Mike Figgis script, which was more about the heist at, at in the film and brought in this original script like three days before they started shooting and was like <laughs> and sort of blindsided the cast <laughs> with this script from 1962 that was written for Robert Mitchum,
0: <laughs> which is which is really funny Uh because, and, and and just back for a second, they never made the Robert Mitchum movie, correct? Like, that just didn't happen? Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny to think, because you think from the six like 62, you'd think that that would be the one that would be more about the heist, because this one feels more like a post-70s sort of, like, hang out with the characters sort of movie, and it's not really about the plot. You know, so it's funny that the older script was less plotty. Which is really that's 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 great, <laughs> and I think that's one of the great things about this movie is that sort of like the, the heisty part of it, uh, the crime part of it is sort of not really the main focus of the movie. Like it kind of is at the end, like how things kind of all fall together and but people's intentions. But even the execution of it is such a small part of this movie. That's more about hanging out in these sweaty hot, you know, offices and homes. In, well, in, and in it's Brugerside.
1: not. <laughs> I mean it hang out yes but also it's more the erotic intrigue yeah. Yeah. in this love triangle yeah or it's I don't know love is the right word this sex Lost triangle. triangle sex triangle. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah um between Don Johnson, Virginia Madsen and Jennifer Connelly's characters and uh yeah it is definitely when I was I was trying to think of it it's the way that the sex in this film film is handled is re- it just walks this very fine line between being very classy, like just the the way it feels noirish, it feels of that era, and also slightly pornographic.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is definitely like, like a that... real pul-
1: like a pulp novel from that era. Would yeah, be.
0: yeah. Um... <laughs>
1: Sure. So how did you come to this film, uh, Brian? Well,
0: uh, it, uh, it, I had never really heard of it until I moved to Austin and realized that this was like, a big popular movie here. Like the movie, when it came out in theaters, was kind of a failure. But in Austin, it did really well because it was shot here. Uh, some of it was shot in Austin, and a lot of it was shot in Taylor, Texas, which is about 30 minutes northeast of Austin. That's kind of the downtown part. And so this in Austinites really love movies made here. And so working at the video store, people uh, would rent this movie uh, a lot. Uh, and were really excited about it or had seen it a lot. And my wife was like, couldn't believe I'd never seen it. And she was like, Oh, that movie's so great. Uh, also, you got a lot of creeps running the movie. Cause it was a lot of like weird house being like, Oh, that's the Jennifer Connelly is nude movie. So you got a lot of those. <laughs> so that's also how I was on my radar, was just creeps. Uh, you know, masturbators <laughs> renting it from the video store. <laughs> but, uh no, I wanted to... I, I don't remember how I... I think my wife was just like, we're watching this. And I watched it, and I loved it. And before seeing this, I had not really thought about Dennis Hopper as a filmmaker. I was more into him as an actor. And it kind of kick-started me going back into his filmography and watching all his other stuff. Uh, based on how much I really, really liked The Hot Spot* And... I really like movies like this in general, like this kind of era of noir, that kind of like Southern sweaty, kind of dusty town, like Red Rock West and U-Turn and this kind of like, not in the alleys of the city noir, but more like in the old, like old town in the middle of the desert sort of noir. Um, yeah. And I never really also thought much about Don Johnson until I watched this movie. And he's fantastic.
1: In this movie or in general?
0: In general. I never really thought about Don Johnson. I never watched Miami Vice. I never really thought of him as being somebody that I needed to care about. But then I saw this and I was like, oh, he's really good. And then since then, I've seen other things with him in it and was like, oh,
1: no, I was totally wrong about him. He's great. Yeah. What are some of the other your other favorite Don Johnson things? (laughs) I think he's
0: really good in the Tarantino movies that he's in. In, yep. uh, in Django Unchained as the, as the plantation owner. And uh, I'm you know, i maybe one of the only people that likes uh, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. I think that's a really good movie. Uh, and I don't know, there's just something about him that he has, he's a little smirky. You know, he does really seems to be kind of like a wise guy, sort of. But he, I don't know, he's just really good at it. There's something charming about him And kind of dirty at the same time. I can see why maybe Dennis Hopper liked him for this movie. Like, he has a kind of sleaziness, but he also kind of has... But he is... There's something really charismatic about him. And there is something genuinely kind of sexy about him. And I don't know. I just... Yeah, I just kind of didn't think he was anyone that I needed to, you know, ponder until... Yeah, but like, Guilty as Sin is great. Did you ever see that? That's the Sidney Lumet movie uh, with him and Rebecca De Mornay. It's written by Larry Cohen. That mm. that was one I watched after the hot spot and he is really great in it and that is a fantastic movie. And that's... The world is wrong about that movie. That's a Sidney Lumet movie that nobody talks about at all and that was three years after this. That was 93. So, yeah. And, and I know somewhere on the back burner is Miami Vice that I will go down that path someday I was too young when it came out. My dad was really into it, of course, (laughs) but I never got caught up in the, and maybe he's really good on that. I'm sure he is. Um, But yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, to me, the, the, the thing that's great about this is that in general, I don't think he's very, I mean, there are times when he is charismatic and I think that Later in life, he's he's ironically cast very well. I feel like that's the that's some of the stuff with with um, Tarantino or maybe it's not even ironic, but there's just something like he's having this late career resurgence as sort of a sleazy old guy. Yeah. And that's cool. But (laughs) he was a major star for a long time. And by the time 1990 came around, I had. Pretty much decided that he was as bad as, you know, as he is in most of these. That he just was. That he was just not that good. Like he was a a star, but not not much of an actor. And so this film just knocked me on my ass. I was like, "Holy shit!" (laughs) Don Johnson again. It's sort of like, like I said, like if I had only seen this, I would think that Don Johnson was like Robert Redford.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, he has that kind of screen screen presence and then Virginia Madsen like the I w- in when I was writing when I was going to make this comparison in my intro I was like I I was thinking of her more like a Dorothy Malone mm. type character and there are parts there's elements of this film where it almost feels like the eroticism of a Douglas cirque. It's so over the top. Yeah and her character feels a little bit like Dorothy Malone and Written on the Wind. I mean, it's very different, <laughs> yeah. but it's that so highly wrought, but also just... Gra- like the, perfor- the character is insane, but the performance is so uh, sort of grounded and earthy, mm-hmm. and... Like, her character is someone that... You're written to hate her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But by the end of the movie <laughs> i kind like you're at the point when you're supposed to hate her the most i kind of <laughs> like her and it's yeah. A, <laughs> yeah um it's a very it's yeah it's a fantastic performance it makes me want to go back and watch more of her stuff from this era she's great cuz i remember really liking her in the movie Slam Dance yeah and but I, yeah i'm looking at these other films like Zombie High, Mr. North is a good film. I don't kind, of, I don't think of it as being a, a showcase for her. And then Hot to Trot can't be very good. Um, <laughs> Gotham, I don't know. Uh, but again, <laughs> if this was the only thing that I had ever seen of hers, I would say, oh yeah, she was a major movie star, right? Yeah, um, but she never
0: quite did yeah. became like she was in movies that were popular, like Candyman. Which is, everyone loves that movie. And she is in, you know, The Rainmaker. And she's in movies that... She was in the Haunting remake. But it really wasn't... Like, she really didn't come back on my radar until Sideways. Like, that was sort of considered her comeback. You know, and she's amazing in it. But she's always been amazing in things. And then, thankfully, that movie, because it was so popular, got her bigger, you know, roles again. Which is awesome. And now she's considered, like... Yeah, but nothing. But it's still never... Yeah, never like, like this.
1: No, like yeah, like she's great in Sideways as a real human being. That's a different <laughs> thing than this, where she's playing, just yeah, like a, 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 a something that only exists in film, a a kind of archetype. And yeah, let's talk about the other films of that of this type. Like you mentioned, U Turn. You mentioned Red Rock West. Um, I was also thinking of the Grifters. Yeah. Another noir of this era. And I just feel like this is better than like I just feel like as a as just on its own terms, just as what it is, it's better. In the sense that all those other films feel like they're doing a thing. Yeah. And this film feels like it is the thing.
0: And it just and then maybe because the author of the book also wrote the screenplay for this movie but it just feels more just like a li- like the environment is there it just feels more lived in it's not just going into the tropes of film noir and like this movie doesn't feel like oh we're doing an homage to film noir maybe because they used no. the original yeah. script you know maybe because they actually used the 62 script so it doesn't have that and who knows maybe the script that Mike Figgis was going to use was going to be more like that and i feel like red rock west and u-turn definitely are more letting the audience be aware of, like, this is our take on film noir, this sort of thing. Like, we're going to have a more exaggerated look. Uh, The plot is going to feel... Like, I think uh, halfway through this movie, I wrote the note down of, like, this isn't like other film lores because there isn't all these threatening people threatening the Don Johnson character yet. Because that's usually what happens in movies Mm -hmm. like this. You have the hero kind of the drifter stroll into town. And immediately the sheriff is like, who the heck are you stranger? And people are giving him a hard time. But in this, he gets welcomed into the town so quickly and everyone kind of likes him. <laughs> you know, like there isn't like everyone's kind of fine with him. And he's, he just kind of comes in and is like, I'm working at this auto dealership now. And they're like, okay. And, <laughs> and then he quickly gets in there, this love triangle. That's like without a lot of effort. <laughs> And there's definitely weird things going on in the background, but like things are kind of working out fine with him. And even through the heist part, he pulls it off very smoothly. Yeah. And then it gets a little rocky of like his alibi, but then again, it kind of works out to his benefit. And it's really not until the very end when it feels a little more like a film noir, where things are like the cards are stacked against him and it's just not really working out as well but until yeah, then but it's very it's they very
1: they don't go so bad for him i mean that's true <laughs> in the end really he's kind of fine <laughs> yeah.
0: and and i think that also separates it from the film noir other film noirs cuz like look like u turn which we talked about uh in a special episode we uh did for the pure cinema podcast one of them picked u turn and we talked about u turn and you can look that episode up it's great but like that movie ends in the way that these movies often end which is Nothing works out for the guy. It all falls apart. People die. He doesn't get the money. But in this, the ending is, you know, it's kind of not what he wanted at, at first. But then he's like, well, okay, I guess this is what it is. And it's things... kind of like, yeah, that's the beginning of a beautiful friendship moment at the end. <laughs> and 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 and, the, and I don't know if we need to give away the ending or maybe we will have to. But like the ending is kind of what seals this movie for me because it is so funny and dark And Virginia Madsen, like, really has the final last word, which is great. And just the end of it is so funny and so unexpected. Uh, It's not what you think, because you really think it's going to be like all these other movies, where it just, he ends up leaving penniless, broke, and sad, and alone. And not the case.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's also, I mean, just coming back to the stars, so, like, the Grifters... John Cusack and Angelica Houston are definitely greater movie stars than Don Johnson and Virginia Madsen, Mm -hmm. but they seem like they're doing an impression of noir. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I feel like if Don, let this makes me think that if Don Johnson and Virginia Madsen were transported to the forties, they would make sense yeah, as movie stars. And they just don't like in the way they don't in the nineties, but in this film, they get to just embody this other thing. It's again U turn. We've seen Sean Penn be all these other people, Red Rock West. We've seen Nicolas Cage. These are mm-hmm. low, sort of, sort of low rent for them. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's something about this being the pinnacle. And I would also say for Dennis Hopper, I want to talk about Dennis Hopper as a director at some point in this, but I just, I, I feel like this is so unlike any of his other movies <laughs> in terms yeah. of just how elegant it is and how and when you hear that it was that they that he gave the script to the cast 3 days before they started shooting yeah. that's got to be an exaggeration because again this film a lot of his films feel kind of slapdash or like yeah. they came together sort of a a bunch of magical accidents yeah. brought this film together. But this this feels so masterful.
0: It, it does. And it's classy. It's masterful. It's like they fi- you watch this and you're like, oh, they finally figured out how to rein in Dennis Hopper and let him kind of <laughs> do his thing. But in a way where it's like this is a movie that's in a way more broad than his other stuff like this could reach more people than his more experimental or weirder or more edgier stuff before this but at the same time it is so still very unique like it shows that just because he's playing more by the rules with this in a way it doesn't take away that, that like this is a great you know you know like this is a movie that is not boring it's not like other things of its time it really is it's just a fan, i think it's just fantastic and i don't know if that's cuz he was older here and was finally able to be like okay i'm going to follow the script i'm not on drugs or alcohol anymore i don't need to impress anyone i'm just going to make a good movie like that happens to people you know they can do that <laughs> if they want to <laughs> um <laughs> and uh, i don't know if it's the producer to thank for that and just sort of yeah but like and it it's also kind of sad because then this should have kickstarted a whole slew of great things like this in the 90s from him and it just didn't happen. Well, it just stands on its own, I think, this movie for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we can sulfur. go into
0: the other movies before and after this if you want. Uh, but like I feel this movie definitely is the unique outlier. Uh, oh yeah, from an already outsider filmmaker. Like there's something about this that is not like any of his other stuff in a great way.
1: Yeah. I don't know how much of an outsider filmmaker he is actually. But <laughs> uh I mean he's a ho- like outsider is
0: <laughs> well, he I was, mean uh, we can he's go a into... famous Hollywood
1: <laughs> actor who yeah, made some films that were part... like were revolutionary. Like Easy Rider was definitely revolutionary. Yeah. But it was made by a bunch of insiders. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Who were all like <laughs> Terry Southern and uh, Bob Rafelson and Jack Nicholson. I mean, they're outsiders. They were outsiders very... on the inside because
0: yeah. it was all part of that new Hollywood thing. you know. And they were sort of right. at the beginning of that. Like They were people that were playing the game, following the rules, and then they decided to, from within, shake things up. Um, but you know, it's, he's definitely not suffering to try to make a movie in the way that like true outsiders are that aren't in Hollywood at all. Yeah. He's, sque- Wendell
1: B. Har- Wendell B. Harris is no, over no. there being like, <laughs> yeah. Like he already was doing
0: fine by 1968 when he did easy writer. Um, yeah. Like, I think that's why he was able to make easy Rider Cause he had enough money and enough power and friends to be like, okay, let's all go make this crazy movie. That's not like other movies. Like he had the benefit to be able to do that. Um Yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah so when I when I mentioned so you know I've been talking with Paul Williams the the director uh, about a project that we're working on and I mentioned that we were gonna be doing this about Dennis Hopper and uh, this film the hotspot with Dennis Hopper and Don Johnson he was like oh well yeah those two guys should work great together they don't have two brain cells between them <laughs> <laughs> so uh I know that sounds mean, uh, but whatever, but at the same time, sometimes, be, you know, making great art doesn't come from being, you know, smart and there's, there's lots of different kinds of intelligence and clearly Dennis Hopper has a certain kind of intelligence. Uh, I was also mentioning, I was talking, saying, well, what about Easy Rider? And he was like, well, a lot of that movie came together in the editing. That was Henry Jaglom in the editing. And, you know, you got Bob Rafelson. And Terry Southern on this. And it's, you sort of got the in, the impression that Paul was saying that Dennis Hopper was the director, but he was <laughs> also, the, the film was carried by a lot of talents. <laughs> and I think and, you can, <laughs> yeah. And maybe maybe one of Dennis Hopper's skills as a director is maybe not having to be the smartest guy in the room. Being the one who's excited and gets everybody jazzed to go and do something that's crazy and lets other people do the work, do a lot of the work because they're good at it, do the things that he knows he's not good at. And then has that actor's or just like that Hollywood ability to then at the end take credit for it. (laughs) Uh, And uh, none of these is is particularly, you know, that doesn't make him different than any other director. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's that. That's kind of what. That's. I'm not saying that. That's all directors. There's plenty who bring a, an incredible amount of skill and training that they've, you know, honed over years of learning their craft. But there are also plenty of directors who find themselves in the position to be directors and hire really good people to make themselves look good, and then they get up and accept the Oscar. <laughs> It's
0: all a sham. That's why I hate that no, that's film by credits. I think a think <laughs> it's a collaborative. He's maybe he's just a great collaborator. He's a true collaborator when he makes the movie that like he can go crazy and then trust an editor to like pull it together. You know, and yeah. that's what that's yeah. what a great editor is for. Like I think a great editor can rein in sort of that mad vision and make some sense of it.
1: <laughs> so so Dennis Hopper has what if basically seven films that he directed not not a lot easy rider from 69 the last movie from 1971 which have you seen the last movie i have not but that is a movie that recently has gotten a lot more like
0: excitement around it because it was very unavailable for a long time and it came out recent ish and so people have been kind of that was a much hated hated movie and now people are kind of like oh but there's something here like, there's something... Because that, that's sort of, like, what I've heard from it, and you can tell me because I think you've, you've watched it, right? Yes. what I heard is this is sort of, like, what Easy Rider could have been if you didn't have Henry Jekyll putting it together and making sense of it. That it's more of the Dennis Hopper going in the woods, being like, let's make a movie, man! And people just going crazy. And then you watch the movie and you're like, huh, okay. But some people yeah. really love it and some
1: people really hate it. <laughs> Uh, you know i i feel like it goes into a certain category of films like uh the other side of the wind mm-hmm. that when like you sort of you have to see it if you're if you're a film person you you should probably see it and it's definitely interesting and maybe like you come i come away from it feeling like maybe this is great and i didn't get it <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's or maybe it's just Dennis Hopper saying, oh, well, you know, now I now that now that I'm a great director, I'm going to go and be a great director, except that I wasn't really a director in the first place. And this is (laughs) the movie that proves that I'm not really a director. And then for nine years, he doesn't make another film. And then the next film is in 1980. He makes Out of the Blue. But Out of the Blue was a film that he didn't even get hired to direct he was hired just to act in it and then the director dropped out or was huh. maneuvered out hmm. right before shooting and he basically took over the direction oh, direction okay. of that film and that is
0: you've seen that one i love that movie i think that's yeah. my maybe my favorite movie is like that movie's a real powerhouse mostly because linda manns is just definitely because linda manns is incredible in it and just as we had to watch that movie for the punk book because she plays sort of a drummer kind of in the punk scene and that is a tough movie emotionally stylistically it's it's I don't know that I think that is a fantastic movie that's just about to maybe get much love again I know I've heard that it's kind of playing at some theaters around you know America like now and I think that's a movie that people should kind of get behind and watch like it has this sort of like, I think, in know, in a weird way, even though it's nothing like it, it can fit in with that Times Square or Ladies and Gentlemen, the Fabulous Danes is sort of. Oh, yeah, sort of I like, think it definitely does. Like kind of punky, edgy, pre-riot girl sort of thing, but with like very tough, hard stuff. And and it's just yeah. And it's Dennis Hopper kind of this. Is, I think it's kind of between it's like him still doing this loose thing. It definitely has this looseness to it. And a little bit of a non-narrative thing going on, but it definitely has more of a complete kind of character arc story than the movies before before this. Like it has a little more of a, like a real movie inside. It
1: still has this strangeness to it. Um, yeah. But I love it. I'm trying to find, I feel bad because I can't find his name. There's an actor who's in this and in who's in that and in the last uh, the last movie who is sort of like plays his buddy it's the guy who goes in the other room and makes out with dennis hopper's wife in out of the blue uh anyway he, he seems like he's sort of uh dennis is, hopper's favorite uh, side guy is that so,
0: don gordon does that sound right like don gordon's in the last movie and in this um, that's probably it yeah if you look at pictures of him maybe you'll maybe that makes sense
1: but uh yeah when you say that it's that it goes into rough stuff it's a film that deals very explicitly with sexual abuse mm-hmm. yeah in a way that comes out of like it's just sort of there all the time and maybe I'm um, maybe I, should I is that a spoiler alert
0: no i don't think no. so yeah, I mean, it might be good uh, to know going into that in case that's another thing you want to watch. So, yeah. yeah, and
1: it's just it's a the way his, that you go into this movie thinking that this is going to be sort of a, a heartwarming reuniting reunion uh, reunion story of a father who's been away at, in prison. And the daughter who can't wait for him to come home. And how it turns into something totally else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I... I, I wouldn't say that this is my favorite of his films because The Hotspot is so much more <laughs> fun to watch. Yeah. It's just I, I, I'm it, Out of the Blue isn't a film that I can see myself going back to as many times yeah. as I'm going to go back <laughs> to The Hotspot. Yeah. But it is probably the greater film mm-hmm. in the sense that it is just yeah it's it's sort of an indelible no one's going to make that movie again and yeah. no one has made it before yeah it, it, it's so unique and it mm-hmm. starts off with a with a clown running a truck into a bus full of school children so that's exciting <laughs> it's a very bleak and amoral film but also weirdly moral so yeah yeah so that's uh yeah so that's that's out of the blue and then the next film he directs is a, is in 1988 and it's colors and i guess that has to just have come out of he wins didn't he win the academy award for best supporting actor for hoosiers for
0: hoosiers and it's right after kind of blue velvet so like this is
1: his blue velvet river's edge hoosiers he's
0: sober he's sober now he's he's cleaned up uh this is his first movie directed where he's not on drugs or alcohol he's he's cut his hair he shaved his beard like he's (laughs) he's wearing armani suits
1: now uh He's, but but I gotta say, I think Colors is my least favorite of his films. It's it's a better really? film yeah. than others. like it's it is made more professionally, yeah, but I find it to be I don't know. like this is a guy who who would made. Who is the outlaw, the rebel filmmaker? And I get sobering up is a good is a good thing. That's a kind of rebellion too. But to then double down and making make your sobriety also part of celebrating the LAPD in the 1980s <laughs> at a time when they were doing really terrible and immoral things. Yeah. To the particularly to the black population of Los Angeles in the name of the drug war. This film is such a I don't just like it's it to me, it's very ugly and actually deeply immoral and cynical. Like, I don't like if this guy believes in law and order and that the drug that drug crimes should be punished like this, then he should (laughs) go to jail, submit himself (laughs) to prison and go to jail for all of the drugs and all of the drugs that he partook in the drug dealers. He supported the people he turned on to drugs but th- <laughs> so to then turn around and be like oh the cops are great the drug drugs are bad and anyone who does them should get busted i just i'm that's when i'm Maybe. really i'm like fuck you dennis hopper i i'm really yeah i'm very i'm very i even if offended is the wrong word i just think confused it's- <laughs> i'm not even confused i know exactly what it is it's a it is a cynical move in the reagan bush era to get more love and better budgets and to like he knows what he's doing he's an insider he's playing the game and it's an ugly game he's playing that's you know <laughs> it's not an accident he's not a dummy no matter what paul williams says you know <laughs>
0: maybe it was part of his community service it's like you have to make an anti-drug uh,
1: pro cop movie in hollywood in <laughs> hollywood and yeah, I'd love to see his anti-drug movie about what he did, like about his life as a druggie. I know not... he never,
0: he never did that. And that would have been,
1: that's too bad. Cause I'm sure he has quite, I mean,
0: he, maybe he doesn't remember a lot yeah. of it, <laughs> but like his, like he definitely was someone that I think people even wrote off at a certain point, thinking, well, that guy's going to die. And then somehow he magically sobered up much like a Robert Downey jr. Where it's just like, Oh, I guess he's gone. And then you're like, no, he's not weird um yeah colors is another movie that i i remember liking it i remember being nervous to watch it and i i don't know when i watched it i didn't think it was totally making the cops the heroes it definitely felt like it was acknowledging some of the problems there definitely not as much as it should have i think but i don't know i didn't quite think of it as a totally pro-cop movie and i know that movie's also been kind of being reappraised and re-looked at like richard linklater showed it at the theater recently as sort of a movie that he thinks is uh, worth watching from the eighties. He had to hit a show he did called uh, jewels in the wasteland where he just showed movies that he thought were great from the eighties, which was a decade that at the time people weren't really thinking anything good came out of. And he picked colors, which I thought was a, yeah, an odd choice, but he did. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, it's uh, I, I think it's worth watching because it is a strange I remember that movie being advertised a lot as a kid. Like it was like on MTV, like the previews for it playing constantly in 1988 or whenever it was. And uh, yeah, but I never watched it because I was like, I don't want to watch some movie with an LAPD. (laughs) It doesn't sound like a thing that still is a thing that anyone wants to watch. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. So now what should come next in his filmography, Filmography is the hot spot because colors, despite being, I think, a morally, uh, I would say repugnant, but a morally questionable film. Maybe earlier in the episode, I said repugnant. I'm sorry, I get excited. Um, <laughs> but, but it's, but it, it is unquestionably a well-made film, mm-hmm. and it seems natural that he would follow that up with the hot spot, which is another beautifully well-made film but in between <laughs> he makes catch fire <laughs> he gets weird again which his is weirdest not, movie <laughs> is yeah it is a film it it is we don't say that it's so bad it's good but this definitely is in the so bad it's good it's, variety I, of films
0: i think this is the first one i watched after the hotspot because it came out the same year it was also 1990 so he made Catch Fire, a.k.a. Backtrack, and The Hotspot in the same damn year. Well, I don't think and, so.
1: I think because he took his name off catchfire Or they came
0: out. They both got released in the same year. I think he, okay.
1: I because Colors is 88, yeah. Catch Fire is 89, The yeah. Hotspot is 90. And uh, and you know there is something that makes sense. Like if you fuck because he had his name taken off of Catch Fire, he did, and it's it's as it's released as an Alan Smithy Alan Smithy movie, yeah, yeah. And (laughs) there that might explain how good the Hotspot is because there is like if you were so pissed off about how bad your last film was, you would show up ready to be like, no, no, I can make a good movie, people. i'd
0: let me let me just read the cast off for this movie because it's a crazy cast. So oh, yeah. you have in your female lead Jodie Foster. Okay. Then you have Dean Stockwell. Makes sense. He's friends with Dennis Hopper. John Turturro, rising star in 1990. Fred Ward. Okay. But then things get a little weird. You get Vincent Price. Bob yep. Dylan. <laughs> it's like... A young, huh. early Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener. Up. Uh... It is a weird, weird movie. Like, words can't even describe what. Because it was the trailers, and maybe the movie was only released, but it feels like they sold it as sort of like this erotic, steamy, late night, or early 90s, late 80s, like late night cable type, like this would be a Norse sort of thing. But that's not really what it is. It's its own monster. And I guess the reason why Dennis Hopper took his name off of it is it was originally four hours long. <laughs> His version is a four hour long movie. And whoever put it out was like, no, 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 no. We got to make this under two hours. So they cut half the movie out. And so he was just like, fuck that. This isn't my movie. And gosh, I wish someone would put that director's cut out. Like any of you out there who put out DVD, Blu-rays or whatever, like I want to see the four hour version of Catch Fire. Maybe it'll make it make more sense or maybe it'll be two more hours of just what the fuck it's
1: also also (laughs) released as backtrack
0: yeah catch fire and backtrack so (laughs) but Uh, i'm a big fan of that movie just because it is so like every minute of that movie you don't know what the heck is going to happen it is such a that is one of the weirdest movies i think anyone has ever made honestly like and i don't think he intended it to be weird i think maybe it made sense in his brain or the editor of that one tried to make it make sense when he turned it in But you're right, that doesn't feel like the logical step. Like, this feels like the logical step after Out of the Blue, but not after Colors. Like, Colors seemed like him being like, trust me, I can make a real movie. And instead he's like, here's another crazy movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't even know. Like, it... it,
1: (laughs) I can't believe that it's made by the same person. Like, I believe that it's made by the same person who made the last movie an Easy Rider. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, the scenes of him playing the saxophone.
1: Yeah. like like, when, like the, his... There'll be the, the that 80s saxophone music that kicks in, and then it cuts to him, and he's playing, he's playing the saxophone. The sex- Except like that, he's not like he's playing it like the saxophone player in The Cat's Meow. Like he's not, yeah, he's just fe- sort of like putting it in his mouth and it feels like a naked gun his gun eyes. gag. It yeah.
0: It feels like, and maybe it was intended as that or maybe it wasn't. Like there's so much of this movie where I wish there was like a, a commentary because like I don't understand the intention of any of it.
1: I mean, the, it, for, or the tone. It's just like. So he's like this, he's this hitman and. He's supposed to kill Jodie Foster, but instead they fall in love, and then the mob is after them. And Jodie Foster, I got to say, she is—I mean, everyone knows she's great, but the way that she— just looks at Dennis Hopper like he's the sexiest man in the world and just dreamily strokes his face and smiles at him and just inhales his essence as if you know, like as if first of all she was into guys but second of all if she was into this guy who's like <laughs> disgusting and then you I I read stories about this that she actually really hated Dennis Hopper because <laughs> she there was a scene in the shower that she said cut to. Dennis Hopper really likes photo- photographing women naked, by the way. So, uh, you know, if you're worried about the creeps who come into the video store, I don't know if it's particularly creepy to watch a video and get turned on by it, but it might be creepy to make the video. That, that, <laughs> they work anyway. with each other. They work both ways. You need, Like hey, one you can't
0: exist without the other.
1: Yeah. No. Yes, they can. Yeah, actually. Well, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, But so, yeah, so she said cut during a scene and then Dennis Hopper yelled at her really badly and she, and bad enough that she uh, reached out to Meryl Streep, who she was friends with, and she knew Dennis Hopper wanted to work with and told her never to work with him, and she didn't. But to watch her performance in this film and know that she is that uh, unsympathetic to this man, and yet her performance... Great doesn't falter for a second, and I've had to do scenes with people I wasn't particularly into, and I've had to do scenes with people who aren't particularly into me, and it's not easy. And in my in my case, I could I don't don't think I could do what she does. It's just it was a pure magic trick. It makes it makes me want to cuddle up to Dennis Hopper for a second, (laughs) but then I realize what's going on, and actually I just want to give. Uh, Jodie Foster hug and be like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and she's like stop hugging me you creep and I'm like oh I'm sorry I'm sorry anyway uh, yeah catch fire backtrack see it at your risk (laughs) uh, yeah at your own peril then we have the hot spot which we talked about a lot and then this film Chasers yeah which uh, I don't even know how the person who like the Everything, everything that's good about the Hot Spot, Dennis Hopper forgot for Chasers, <laughs> which is sort of like, uh, the Last Detail. It's sort like of like a, a weird take on the Last Detail with Tom Berenger and some sort of young, I don't even know the the name of the actor. Some young handsome dude uh, taking. Erica Alaniac, is that her name? I think that's right. Yeah. A blonde the a, a blonde actress who's a who is sort of like the Randy Quaid character in The Last Detail, supposed to be taking her to prison, and she keeps escaping, and there's all you know, hilarity ensues, and sex <laughs> happens and fight fights happen. All the things that happen in Hotspot happens, except the fights in Chasers are terrible. The fights in <laughs> the Hotspot feel visceral. You can feel every punch. This, like, the stuff in Chasers feels like it wants to be Hooper, but it can't be Hooper. And then the sex scenes are like way too pornographic (laughs) and go on way too long. And again, whatever, like, this is the same director who just a couple years before knew how to shoot an erotic scene in a way that really threads that needle. And then it's just yeah. like, eh, forget it. Let's just have him put his face in our butt for a long time. Another crazy cast. You have Frederick
0: Forrest, Seymour Cassell, Gary Busey, Crispin Glover. Yeah, everyone Stockwell wants again. to work
1: with Dennis Hopper, but. That's all this these bad. The music, like in the mu- in the the hotspot, the music is so rich and perfect and fits with this. And then with the with Chasers, it just feels like he bought a Dwight Yoakam record and just <laughs> drop put like let it play like through scenes. Like there'll be like big emotional scenes, and it's just sort of like Dwight Yoakam song is playing in the background. And it's, like, it's so it's it's really. And, you know, when when an actor has their last film and it's embarrassing, you feel bad for them. But it's not really like, it's not really their fault. It's just like the way things were released. Yeah. But that this is the last film from Dennis Hopper.
0: Yeah. Criterion's not putting that one out anytime soon. (laughs) Chasers, I think, will be another one worth watching, I think. But definitely watch it your own. (laughs) If it wasn't,
1: if it didn't say it was directed by Dennis Hopper,
0: you would have never known.
1: Yeah, it, except that, like, you'd be like, "How did they get all these pe- these great people to be in this movie?" Yeah, As, you know. <laughs> they're friends with Alan Smithy. <laughs> um, okay, let's come back to let's come back to the to the hotspot now. Yeah. Um, so, in this filmography, this one really stands out. Let's talk about some of the standout aspects of it, shall we? Yeah. So, uh, did you notice how just even in the opening shots, the way that he shoots the dunes, they look, it looks like skin. Mm hmm. Like Don Johnson looks like he's this little guy in sort of lost on this huge body. Mm hmm. <laughs> which is the, the desert, which is the desert sand. Um, and yeah, just a real, again, a very elegant way to start the film. What were some of the standouts for you? Uh, I really like the humor that's in it, which is funny because it's
0: never listed as a comedy. Like IMDb doesn't list it as a comedy, but I think this movie is really funny. Like the humor, it's definitely a dark, serious movie with humor within it, but just like from especially the supporting people that clearly Dennis Hopper really likes and lets them be kind of their weird selves. That's I think kind of one of the standouts that separate it from other movies of this kind of genre is that it goes into these little pockets of strange (laughs) comedy. Like Charles Martin Smith brilliantly cast as sort of the other car salesman, the kind of more clueless where he doesn't really understand all the plot that's going on in this movie. He's just sort of blissfully unaware, <laughs> just trying to sell cars. I think there's so much humor there.
1: And then especially from... Wait, J- wait, wait like, can we talk about Charles Martin Smith for a second? Yeah. Because rewatching it last night, I really actually, I think he knows a lot more of what's going on than it really seems. Like there's all these little, like there's this moment when uh, like Don Johnson's like, I believe you're supposed to take what you want. Take what, you know, you, no one else is going to give it to you. You see something, you take it. And he's like, oh, that's a good thing. You know what <laughs> I like to say? Look before you leap. <laughs> and it sounds like he's just sort of a dummy, but then he knows what's going on. Uh,
0: so maybe it's more he knows, but he just is like, leave me out of the plot of yeah, the movie. He's, he's like, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm just he's here like, to sell uh, cars. I yeah. don't want to be a part of whatever you all are up to. And like he will be the last man standing in this town just selling cars, having a normal he'll be the only person with a normal life. <laughs> he'll there's, own
1: the car dealership, he'll be fine. <laughs> there's a great there's a great scene in uh so at one point so there's this one car that's on the lot that's up on a pedestal, like up high, so that when people drive by they see this car. And at uh, at a certain point in the movie Virginia Madsen shows up there and pulls J- Don Johnson into it and uh encourages him to uh pleasure her in the most generous of ways and <laughs> <clears throat> I'm trying to be delicate here uh and uh and then afterwards Charles Martin Smith is the next morning he's like he's cleaning cleaning the his job he's always cleaning around the around the used car dealership and he pokes his head in and, and he gives it a big Charles Martin sniff and he's like <laughs> hmm yeah he knows he knows what's going on as I'm saying he's like he's one of these these like the guy at the lower like I, I guess there's another guy who's like that he who's maybe that's a that's a theme in this film but let's let's continue going through the, the, the cast that you love I want to hear who else uh, jumps uh, out and at you. my
0: favorite part and the thing that surprised me the most when I watched this was Jack Nance. And seen oh, Jack, yeah. seen Jack Nance in a non David Lynch movie. Clearly, he hit it off with Dennis Hopper on the set of Blue Velvet, and he he plays the the guy who runs the bank. And his intro is just being a creep in a strip club, the Yellow Rose, which is an actual strip club here in Austin, Texas, still still open, still there. Uh, and and then it just keeps. I don't know if this was it written in a script or he brought, but like he just keeps being this kind of pervert where Don Johnson stumbles into the bank and there's no one around. And then you see Jack Nance kind of fall out of the bathroom. Like he's walking out, like just reading (laughs) jugs, jugs magazine. (laughs) And and he's just so good. Jack, like, why would you trust a bank run by Jack Nance? Like clearly that's going to get robbed. That's the wrong person to be in charge of all of the town's money. Um, (laughs) Especially if he's constantly going to the strip club, it seems like those, there's no dollar, there's no two dollar bills at the, his bank. You can't get them. he spent them all.
1: Uh, <laughs> Why two dollar bills?
0: Oh, clearly you've never been to a strip club. That's the when they give you money there. That's what they give you because that way you have to tip when you put the money in. It's more money than a dollar. Oh. like when they give you change, it's two dollar bills. So
1: I heard. <laughs> so it's not. I, it's funny because I, I thought. So, is that like a thing to be generous? No, it's like a. Okay, well, and, and so, uh, and I also know this because when I worked
0: mm. at certain places and at Vulcan, our customers that were uh, exotic dancers would pay with two, lots of $2 bills. And I was like, and this is how I learned, I was like, why did all these women have $2 bills? And then someone working with me, I think it was maybe even my wife, pointed out, oh, because at strip clubs, like that's the change they get. So that way they get bigger, like a, sl- a more dollar. One more dollar is slid into their stocking or garter or whatever. Yeah, thrown on the stage. So, sorry. (laughs) But that's why I made the $2 reference. Anyways. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And then I think the third standout for me is William Sadler, who's so good, just so skeezy and so just scary. And I, I love him. And I feel like he is a, it's one of those great act, character actors that always shows up in things, and I think we kind of take him for granted. And I've always loved him, and he's, I don't know, just really great in this. And I also kind of feel sorry for him in this movie, in a way, even though he's a total creep. His his demise <laughs> is kind of sad. Um, Yeah.
1: But, really, like, you feel That's what I mean, you feel it. Yeah. Like, these fights, and, like, it's so weird that it's, that, on either side of this film are Backtrack and Chasers, which just seem like they don't understand the first thing that this film seems like it just knows in its bones. Yeah. Like, if you told me that, like, this is like a Howard Hawks kind of elegance to this film mm-hmm. and and to all of these performances like that, like, are heavy, we have sympathy for in these uh, these other movies, are heroes I don't even have sympathy for. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's like it, I don't know what it's. It's just got to be some weird film alchemy. I do think I do get a sense because you know I've talked about how I love actors who direct.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like there's something, actory about this about the way that Dennis Hopper directs. Yeah. That and sometimes like there's a certain like, okay, I'm just gonna this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I've made my choice like with acting, it's like make strong choices. And then, you know, ideally you have a director who then lets you know if those strong choices work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what he does as a director. He comes in and makes really strong choices. And sometimes those don't work. In this case, it just that it worked perfectly. It's like, it just, I don't know. It's so amazing to me. It's such a magic trick. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. um, Yes. So, uh, yes, William Sadler totally goes toe-to-toe with Don Johnson. Like, their scenes together, you really feel like they're well-matched. Again, mm-hmm. like Don Johnson and Virginia Madsen are well-matched. You know, he he reminds me of, who's that actor from Gator? Is that Jerry Reed? Yeah. Is that right? Yes. He remind Like, when I was watching this, I was like, is that... Like, in my mind for a second, I thought, is that Jerry Reed? And I was like, no, he'd be way too old. (laughs) This has to be someone else. And I was like, oh, no, that's William Sadler. But he had that same sort of... Also sort of like... um, Shit. Who's the heavy in Urban Cowboy? Uh,
0: Scott Glenn. Like, Scott Glenn
1: in Urban Cowboy. Like, this, just like... There's a kind of perfect heavy where like in another if it if it was another movie you could kind of believe they might be the hero like they're that much of a movie star presence in it mm-hmm. but there's also something about them that's wiry and skeevy and tough yeah. that makes them just a great heavy yeah yeah wonderful wonderful any other performances jennifer connelly can we talk about her she's she's pretty she's pretty good in it
0: yeah i mean and this is like kind of her transitioning from Kind of being in movies playing like a young girl, teen to being more of a woman here, even though she's still like play, playing a teenager in this movie. Uh
1: But yeah, yeah, they have of a be- scene. <laughs> Go on.
0: This is just the beginning of her being more of the grown-up Jennifer Connelly in movies.
1: Yeah, they 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 insert a scene where they actually where Don Johnson and Jennifer Connelly actually their characters talk about their ages. Because we're at this, by that point in the movie, we're all being like, what's this 40 year old guy going going out with this 17 year old girl. <laughs> and they make a point of that he's 36 and she's 19, which is definitely not the kind of ages that people say when they're lying about their age. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the, like, every, Like if you look 40, I'm only 36. <laughs> You're too young to get in. What are you talking about? I'm 19. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this relationship, uh, they're actually, I mean, it's, yeah, Dennis Hopper is a creep and this movie is creepy, but it also really works. Like he's, this is so, gen- like, that character, the character she's playing in this movie, sort of like the Virginia Manson thing, like, Even though we're supposed to have a lot of sympathy for her, there's something about the way she plays it Mm -hmm. that makes her more interesting. And again, slightly less, I don't want to say sympathetic because she's a sympathetic character, but Mm -hmm. like there isn't a heartbreak at the end when things don't go the way she wants them to. They're sort of like, oh yeah, kid, go your own way. Let let the adults do their thing. Yeah. You were never meant to be in this relationship. And the movie kind of (laughs) knows it. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing because we live in an age where, you know, we throw around words like creep and we talk about how people are creepy and that's gross and whatever. But making films is creepy. You're like, and there is something like a a person who wasn't creepy couldn't make this film, and if they tried, it would be very bad. Like, if, <laughs> if a film like this had a sort of, a some sort of prurient morality at its center, it would be so bad. It would be like a weird <laughs> Christian movie. You know, it would just, a film like this has to be, it's not even dirty because this film isn't dirty, but it's not dirty Dirty. I feel like it's not dirty because the people who make it are so filthy that they aren't like that. They aren't caught up in any of the prurient nonsense of it. Yeah. Like to them, sex is like to to the people who made Easy Rider, and this is a lot of the same production crew. They've you know the sex in this isn't isn't brazen at all. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of I don't know a little bit restrained compared yeah. to the lives that they've led. And I just there's there's something about that. Like I don't you don't want to have like let like give someone who's predatory the the keys to the kingdom as a director and furnish their office with plentiful casting couches, but at the same time there is something about making films that is inherently manipulative and ogling and I don't want to say narcissistic is the wrong word, but there's a way wanting to be in power and tell your story and make other people enact your story and to get off on it. Whether that's when I say erotically, that doesn't mean like sexually erotically, but erotically, like it gives you a charge. Like I want to tell this story and I want to see the, I want to see her look at him this way and it'll turn me on when she does. And that's when I know it has this, the take. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's such a, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I always think about like baseball, like the, what it takes to be a great hitter in baseball is not necessarily what it takes to be a good person, which is why so many of the greatest hitters in baseball are some really probably psychologically damaged people <laughs> in, in are in, in some Ways that are easy to to see in the stories of their lives, because it takes something to over a 20 year period, every pitch be focusing on this one on one showdown with such high stakes. And I feel like it's the same kind of thing with directing. I don't know if you can. uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just ranting now. Sorry. (laughs) Stop me, Brian, before I kill again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But it's also like the voyeurism of it too. Like being a director, you yeah, you have to manipulate the actors and the to do to manipulate the audience to feel something. That it's it's a strange uh, job to have for sure, whether it's in theater or movies. You know, it's because uh, <laughs> you have to involve other people, and you have to figure out how to make it work. Uh, it's an, it's odd. And actors are odd because they have to pretend to be in love or have a feel. Yeah, you know, like you have to have strange chemistry going on on a movie set. And I think some directors feel that, and then they get maybe go too far with it, uh, or like their ego or their pa- the power trip of like you know controlling. And certainly, there, there's been stories of directors where that's become a problem. But uh, yeah, but this movie's good, and it worked. Whatever. Evil thing they came up with, or magic (laughs) they conjured. This is uh, this movie works like every second of it. There is not a a wrong uh, note in this film. I can can safely say that like it is a perfect movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Don Johnson and neither Don Johnson or Virginia Madsen liked it. Yeah, they they refused to promote it. Don Johnson was too busy making your favorite movie. Harley Harley Davidson, Davidson, Marlboro Man. Man. Yeah. And uh, and Virginia Madsen was uh, annoyed by how much nudity there was Mm. for her. So she felt uh, taken advantage of by Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Um, But I feel like Roger Ebert, who I've said some unkind things about on the show, because he said some unkind things about some movies that I feel... Obligated to defend. But in this case, I feel like he uh, he got it pretty right. He says, so Roger, e- Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars. Not bad. And uh, wrote, only movie lovers who have marinated their imaginations in the great B-movies from RKO and Republic will recognize the hotspot as a superior work in an old tradition. Hmm. So I guess yeah. we are... Those marinated viewers.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think I'm glad that we did this because I I definitely feel like this is not a movie that's get talked about a lot. There isn't some fancy, nice release of this movie. It's just kind of a pretty regular DVD uh, that is definitely worth a revisit. Uh, More so, I think, than any of the other Dennis Hopper movies, because the other ones are doing just fine, it feels like. And so I think this one keeps getting passed over. Um, so I, I think it's time for people to embrace and enjoy the
1: hotspot. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious. I really am curious. Cause I feel like you say that there, that the, the people who came into the, the quote creeps came into the video store to get this, to see the new Jennifer Connelly. But I remember when I was young and this film came out Virginia Madsen was the one who inspired (laughs) creepy feelings in me, but watching it now, watching it like as sort of an adult who, you know, now I watch like good looking guys in movies and be like, I used to be somewhere in that vicinity. Um, (laughs) But Don Johnson is like, he's very, very, very very not wouldn't to say handsome like i feel like he's giving an incredibly sexy performance on this and it's mm-hmm. like obviously it's somewhat lost on me because i don't necessarily, i don't have the receptors for it yeah. but i would be really curious to hear from our audience if there are people for whom this is one of the great like erotic male performances of that era yeah. like i think of a hmm. lot of those steamy movies with like hot male leads of that time. And a lot of them, you know, like we were talking about Tom Berendt, I think it was like someone to watch over me. Like Mm -hmm. there's all those kind of uh, like sort of erotic thrillers. And a lot of those guys just seem pretty. mm. And this character, like I said, before I knew it was written for Mitchum, I was thinking about Robert Mitchum and there's very few actors that make me think of Robert Mitchum. Yeah, like he's a very unique and Don Johnson isn't even doesn't even have the physical material to show up with that kind of heft. So, you know, he's Don. Like I feel like Robert Mitchum must have been a hundred pounds heavier than Don Johnson. <laughs> he was just like bigger, a bigger thing. But I just feel like there's some like, I, and again, I I I I'm not quite qualified to speak to it. But I want to invite people who listeners who might have had that response of like, is Don Johnson doing something that is making you want to go out and rent the videotape so that you can get creepy with it. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, let's, let's hear yeah. from the people in the audience who find Don Johnson sexy. I want to... I I know many moms did back in the day. <laughs> uh, what was that music video he did? Heartbeat? Remember that?
1: I don't know. Oh,
0: yeah. He made like... Because he, he had an album that came out all sexy on yeah it. see that's and why i didn't f- like him at the time and he made a full length like movie based on the album with all the songs in it and it's i think it's called heartbeat where he's like a photographer in central america and there's like you know the political uprising but he's there running around helping people out and but singing this light rock and it's pretty i don't want to see amazing. him helping
1: people i want to see him two time, to- <laughs> yeah <people>. two-timing <laughs> the hottest women in this texas town holding up a bank Making, you know, like, <laughs> shitty asides to Charles Martin Smith. <laughs> you yeah. Know, drinking a beer and scowling. Yeah, that's... I want to... He should be just play only amoral characters. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, well, that's the hot spot, Brian. We did it. And I'm glad we did.
0: This is one that you've been talking about since the beginning, like you said, and I'm glad that we finally made it to it.
1: Radio 8-Ball Andros here. When I'm not co-hosting The World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards, We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store.
0: Show you call yourself a music fan are you the one making the playlist for all the parties then you've got to listen to the pinch music podcast where we interview musicians engineers producers and music lovers of all types we even put together playlists for any and all occasions so if you want to have the beatles versus stones debate pick up some engineering tips or just discover a new artist you got to check out the pinch music podcast all a part of the paperhouse network
1: Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Did you know... Did you know that uh, Charles K. Williams was born on August thirteenth? Almost, almost the twelfth. Almost my birthday. <laughs> Not quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were. You were telling. Did you say before we started? I don't know if you said this before we started, but he uh, he also wrote the book that Dead Calm was based on.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he's he's a good. Uh... Writer of that kind of noir type stuff. Like that's another steamy amoral uh, love triangle, amoral love triangle. That's it. Who knows what went on in his life, (laughs) I guess. Uh, Yeah. Also great. Like, yeah, we, we mentioned that movie briefly on our uh, Kidman kind of uh, like the episode we did about Nicole Kidman last March, where we talked about sort of like a kind of career retrospective that we did in an episode. And we talked about dead calm being one of the highlights of the eighties for her. Uh, yeah. So it totally makes sense that the same guy wrote that, wrote, wrote this.
1: We mentioned color noirs of the nineties. Were there, we had talked about Red Rock West, U-Turn, the Grifters. Were there any other noirs that noirs of that era that you think of? Uh, not quite in the same world, but a good noir from the nineties is the last
0: seduction with Linda Fiorentino. um, and the, the 90, noir in the '90s is 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 weird because it gets so locked in with like late night Cinemax softcore, like post Fatal Attraction, post Basic Instinct, like noir branched off into its own sort of journey of being these late night sex movies, like starring Andrew Stevens and like Shannon Tweed, and they're all kind of a play on this noirish thing, but really playing up the sex. And those are pretty good, actually. Like the uh, body chemistry films with Andrew Stevens, I highly recommend. Uh, the Night Eyes series is really good. Uh, Shannon Worries in a lot of them. She's great. Like Animal Instincts, Mirror Images. Um, Illicit Dreams is a, is a weird one. That's directed by Andrew Stevens. And it's like him and Shannon Tweed are having this affair in their dreams. But then it's kind of like maybe sort of real, but it's it's only dreamt. And it kind of feels almost a little bit like a Mulholland Drive sort of thing. So all of that is like an offshoot of noir, separate from these more legit movies. But also part of the genre uh, and worth
1: watching, like the good ones are, I think. Yeah. 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 I I, I got more out of that question than I, <laughs> than I bargained for.
0: I'm a big fan. <laughs> of those I, the only
1: other one... The, the only other ones I thought of were Bound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a little bit later, but Memento. Oh, yeah. And Memento is very different, but I would say it, there's something yeah. about just the feel. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It has that same, like, this this all makes sense in this world <laughs> that doesn't feel like an impression of noir. But.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that there's always huge noir fans, like, working at a movie theater... And working, having worked at a video store, there are people that just eat that genre up and that is their thing. Like, film noir movies just have a, a draw for people and still. And, like, there used to be a film noir kind of festival or a traveling thing, I forget what it was called, and it came through town a few times and it always did very well. And I feel in the last few years, people have finally acknowledged and have really liked the 80s ones, like, in referring to the genre as neon noir. And those movies have kind of finally become celebrated. And like you know, like I think at the time people were like, "Oh, these aren't as good as you know the movies from the '40s or '50s," but those movies are good. And I think maybe now is the time to go further into the '90s and celebrate movies like *The Hot Spot* and kind of embrace the noir of the '90s, which is. What do you
1: think? What what qualifies as neon noir?
0: Neon War, they did movies like uh, The Driver, the Walter Hill movie, The Driver, um, 52 Pickup, the John Frankenheimer movie, uh, To Live and Die in L.A., uh, 8 Million Ways to Die, the Hal Ashby movie. Um, what's the other, uh, other Jeff Bridges one? Um, the one with the Phil, the Phil Collins song. Uh,
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Against All Odds.
0: Against All Odds uh American gigolo. there was a whole series if you look it up there's a whole series at the theater that used to uh, it, a cine family in Los Angeles did a whole neon noir thing maybe like 8 or 9 years ago and they made a great trailer to it and this was around the time of when drive came out and so these were all the movies kind of ins- inspired Nicholas Winding Rifen to make drive and they refer to the genre as neon noir cuz it all has that kind of like Michael Mann look to it you know uh, and they're good um Oh, uh, Cat Chaser with Peter Weller based on the mm-hmm. Elmar Liner book directed by Abel Frere is really good. Rainbow Drive also with Peter Weller is great. So there's a whole... that, And those movies are being celebrated and put out on Blu-ray, but I think now is the time to move into the 90s and start start in 1990 with the hotspot and go work all your way up to Memento.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's see, we're into January now, and on the director's wall, you may or may not have already put out your New York Stories episode. <laughs> That's where we're we've at, yeah. In previous, uh, in previous installments. Mm-hmm. And anything exciting in the world of Francis Ford Coppola that you can tell us about beyond necessarily <laughs> New York Stories? Like... Uh, no, we're just excited because we're at the point
0: in our podcast where we're about to get into his 90s stuff. Uh, which I'm really excited to revisit like Godfather three and Bram Stoker's Dracula, and then have you on as a guest to do the rainmaker. Cause I've never seen that. And I don't know. I feel that could be a fun conversation after watching that movie.
1: Oh, it will be. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. And, uh, am um, I, nothing, nothing particular to promote if I, if I have something to promote, I'll re-record over this and <laughs> with something to promote. But in the meantime, mostly, I just want to say keep listening to this show. If you If you like what we do, come check out our website, www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. That's where you can find all of our episodes and uh, with lots of cool pictures and links and stuff. <laughs> and you can find us on Instagram at the World is Wrong Podcast and on Twitter at World is Wrong pod, And you never write. It was, please, said this, your thoughts. Your I know, feelings, eventually we're going to run out of movies. Concerns, oh, no. <laughs> we need to hear, um,
0: hear from you. What do you want? Yeah, what do you want yeah. from us, people? We don't know. We're just, you know, throwing this out there, hoping this is what you want.
1: Yes, but uh, next week we're going to be doing a film that... Uh, you still haven't watched it yet, have you, Brian?
0: I, I mean, I've seen it, but I haven't rewatched it.
1: But this is my yes, pick. This is, a, this is... Brian picked it before going back to check on it. And now that we're announcing it, we have to do it. <laughs> I have rewatched it. And I'm... Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. It's the... We're going to be doing Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, based on the Tom Robbins best-selling novel, directed by Gus Van Zandt, starring Uma Thurman and a cast... A rogues gallery of (laughs) weirdos and great actors doing questionable accents. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, I'm excited. (laughs) Ready to unpack it.
1: Yes. It does have some great moments that will will stick with you for sure. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're doing next week. Even cowgirls get the blues. We encourage you to see the film, read the book, uh, live the life. (laughs) <laughs> of even cowgirls get the blues and uh, then come join us next week when we'll be celebrating this film any final words to our to our friends here Brian? no I'm fine okay well then you're fine <laughs> that's good to know that's good to know uh, I guess I'm fine too but uh, but I, I'm in the same plight that all of our listeners are and and you are whether or not you'll admit it which yeah. is that wherever we are Wherever we are, Brian, the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about us. You want to see my birthday cake? It's your birthday? Seriously? Well, how old are you? I'm 19. Well, you look disappointed. Did you want me to be older?
0: <laughs> no, of course not. That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm 36. Well, here,
1: have a sandwich, you poor old man. You have to keep up your strength.
0: Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall.
1: Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.